Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your weekend was good. And once again, a happy belated Father's Day to all you dads out there who celebrated with the families. I hope you had a wonderful time. I'm very excited about this hour. My friend um, Matt Bostrom is going to be my guest. He's the former uh, sheriff of Ramsey County, and now he is a member of the law faculty at the Center for Criminology at Oxford University in England. His law enforcement human resources research focuses on hiring for character, training for competence, and building community trust in police officers. I'm not sure our conversation will be relevant, but uh, I thought, what the heck, I'd love to have him on. Matt, welcome. <laughs> good afternoon, Bill. It's good to hear from you again. I know. I hope I gave you a, a proper introduction. <laughs> um, you know, when I have friends on, I just kind of wing it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but well, I'm not. The, here's here's my situation at Oxford. I, I can't say that officially I'm part of faculty, but uh, that is where I completed my doctoral work uh, was was at the University of Oxford, their faculty of law, specifically the Center for Criminology. So, yes, I am affiliated, but I'm not tr- I'm not teaching there right now. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm real curious because I know the research you're doing is you're looking at speaking to communities and asking, what do you deem to be the most attractive uh, characteristics in law enforcement. Isn't that part of it? Yes. It's it's to get to the deeper level of how the community detects trustworthy people, in particular, what makes an officer trustworthy. And ultimately, as individual officer trust increases, then, of course, you would expect that Uh, like a rising tide, as more and more officers are trustworthy, the organization becomes more trustworthy. And when that happens, it becomes a positive upward cycle where there's mutual trust between the community and the police department. And ultimately, uh, it's a really, it's a very positive circumstance. And so what I've been exploring is uh, trying to find out, well, one thing to say, I understand what trust is, but we need to hear from the community to understand how they understand the aspects, the behaviors, the values that they understand to generate trust. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, when you think about a, uh, when you in your head think of a professional police officer, I mean, Mm -hmm. what would be some of the characteristics that would pop into your head? Right. So when when you hear a police officer, and I'll even though I'm retired, but when I'm around police officers, police administrators, the administrators, what they typically would be talking about with professionalism is education, dedication, ethics, honesty, transparency, those are all of the things that fit in that basket of police professionalism. So it's very important to the community that the community feels that the officers are going to be invested in their community, that they're going to be Mm -hmm. compassionate and empathetic, and they'll be good listeners. And Mm -hmm. that's a tall order, I I would think. I mean, Let's just say it's a really hard job. <laughs> it is a challenging job, and I think police officers would would say both. It's 
incredibly challenging, oftentimes draining and sometimes outright depressing. And then there are moments where you have an opportunity to make a positive change in a person's life. And how many people have an opportunity to be able to do that? And so it's in those moments that that's what police officers strive for. Try not to let the the difficulties overshadow those positive circumstances where you have been able to stand in the gap and people uh, have gone on to live uh, amazing lives because you quietly stood in the gap and uh, were able were allowed able to allow them to either get justice or to save their life. Mm-hmm. When you think of the average day of a police officer working an eight or 10 hour day, is it safe to say that for most of that day when they're pulling people over or they're interacting with people, that there's a good percentage of people not telling them the truth, not being honest with them? <laughs> am, I, am I saying all kinds of dumb things right now, Matt? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I, I can't How naive am I? Yeah, well, I'm not saying that you're not saying dumb things, but this, 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 <laughs> this, question, this question isn't is not a bad question. Oh, it's, good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it actually got to the point where I now I don't know that other police officers do this, but I did. It was so refreshing when I pulled somebody over in traffic when they would say, you know, officer, I was going a little bit too fast or I rolled through that stop sign. I really apologize. I should be a better driver. I know better. You know, in those mm-hmm. circumstances, it was so refreshing. I would go verify that they indeed had insurance and their driver's license was up to date. And I would just say, I need you to be more careful. Thank you for understanding why I stopped you. And 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 uh, I know that you'll, you know, I hope that you'll do better in the future. It was refreshing. I didn't tag somebody when they admitted to what they had done. Right. Um, th- there's a couple things that some people would say. Uh, I remember hearing this, that they say, well, you can't tell a police officer even if you do know because then you're then you're automatically get a ticket. And I'm like, well, um, if you know what you did, um, it's it's a lot easier for the officer to know what the response what they what their response is. The response is, why why does a police officer stop someone for traffic? The reason is uh, they don't make any money off from it. It's actually easier to not stop someone. So they're doing it for a different purpose. And uh, when I came up through St. Paul, uh, St. Paul Police Department, we were taught that this is about education and about safety. Mm. This is about keeping your community safe. And that's the reason we have traffic laws. And a lot of times they're for the person in the car's own good. So it's about educating first and and enforcing second. And um, but I I, the stories that I was told uh, (laughs) when I walked to that window, Bill, are, are, are pretty amazing. And most of the time what you would hear is um, an excuse or no, I have no idea why you stopped me. Um, and it, 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 you know, there would be times where uh, you got time for a couple police stories. Oh, I love them. All right. All right. So, so we'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll let me go through a few of them. So one is, uh, and, and so I pull over and it turned out it was a woman driving a car. She'd been speeding and, uh, late late evening early morning hours over in the east side of st paul and pulled her over and walk up to the window and and she immediately starts chastising me for the audacity of pulling her over because she knew the only reason that i was pulling her over was because she was a female in a red sports car (laughs) and that and she knows for a fact that that's all cops do is look for women in red sports cars to pull them over and give them tags and harass them 
So that would be one example. And there was another time with a load of teenage kids. And teenage kids, I think, overestimate a whole lot of things, in particular their quality of driving. And they, I, I pulled over a car full of people. I didn't know you get up and find out that they're indeed teenagers. And then they, again, it was identical. Well, the only reason you're pulling us over is because we're teenagers and all you cops do is harass teenagers. And I thought, boy, there's 300,000 people in this city. I better get to work if I'm going to be harassing everyone. Uh, but it sure seemed to them that I was picking on them. And, mm -hmm. and it hit me, it's hit me over the years that a lot of people don't have a very good perspective on their quality of driving. Because when they're out driving, they see people that are worse than them. So they assume that their driving is great. And so if the police officer is pulling them over, it must be because they're being picked on. But anyway, in any case, that's kind of the life of a police officer. So going back to the earlier point that I made, it was so refreshing when somebody said, officer, I can do better. I, I, I wasn't paying attention the way I should. And it was, remember, educate first, enforce second. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that was, that was our policy and practice. And oh, one last story, the, the guys that would work the traffic unit, this was a common thing for them, was not to see how many tags they could write in a night. Now, these are the unmarked traffic cars, right? The ones that people really don't like that are maybe sitting, you know, near an area where typically the road opens up and people tend to go over the speed limit a great deal. Um, they get mad at the cops for, for waiting. They call it a speed trap. And I'm like, well, how did they trap you? They're just sitting there and the sign was posted. Well, you know, anyway, but they call it a trap. Um, <laughs> but these, but these traffic officers, I, I remember early on, they would get together for coffee and I was, I was working with a couple of them and I couldn't figure out what they were counting. And what they were counting wasn't the number of tickets. It was the number of times they had a citizen say thank you when they gave them the tag. That's what they counted on was being that kind at the traffic stop so that the person actually would say thanks. Wow. For giving them a tag. But so, so again, cops find diff different ways to, and, and you can see sometimes people, when they were walking away, the guy inside the car says to his wife, I just told that cop, thank you for giving me a ticket. What's the matter with me? <laughs> he could actually hear him. But the point was, is that we learned that there was a lot, e that, that made the job, the task. It's no fun giving someone a ticket, but if there's a way to do it in a way that is instructive and helpful. And then when you're so nice to them, they just couldn't help it, but they said, thanks. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> now, do you ever find yourself making uh, like remarks going, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Oh, and by the way, I never knew a Prius could go 80 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, I, I could. There's There's been a few times where it's uh, people have been driving some, uh, you know, some amazing, amazing things. You know, you've read reports of people driving, you know, lawn tractors and other motorized <laughs> carts and things like that. But, yeah. and, they, and they assume in bicycles and, and other things that they're inebriated and they, they assume yeah. that because they're on a different type of vehicle, then it doesn't count. Yeah. All right, Matt, I'm going to take a little break. But when I come back, I want to ask you about the magic email you sent um, to, to Oxford and how you All got right. chosen in the program. Sure. And then I think All there's right. some other police questions, um, I don't know, mm -hmm. that we might want to talk about. Sure. Um, sure. Also invite listeners, if you might have one, you can uh, text me a question, 877-933-2484. Matt Bostrom is my guest. He's a former sheriff of Ramsey County, and he's now working on his Ph.D. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Matt Bostrom is my guest. Is it Dr. Matt ba Bostrom now? Do we go by doctor? 
Um, Matt is fine, but no, if I'm in academia, I would say doctor. Yes. Sweet. How's that feel? Yeah. How about that? When did yeah, you get well. that? When did you get that <laughs> title? Um, I actually. Uh, this is where my friends say I needed to stay in school longer than everybody else because I don't learn quickly enough. But uh, actually, in 2003, I uh, uh, was able to graduate with my doctorate in public administration from That's Hamlin right. University. Okay. And then it was uh, 2017 uh, where I uh, got involved at Oxford. Okay. Kind and so I'll have a, a PhD types. from Oxford then. Wow. So, well, yeah. You can lend me one of yours if I ever need one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a few extra letters after your last name. You know, there's <laughs> some times where it matters, and then there's other times that uh, uh, people roll their eyes and they have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah. So tell the, <laughs> tell the story. I mean, you've uh, been yeah. a believer for most of your life, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. tell me your, your interest in wanting to mm -hmm. do research on hiring for character, because it mm -hmm. seems that there's a lack of character uh, in certain places in law enforcement. I'm not. Mm -hmm. That's not a broad brush stroke. I just say there's there's always bad apples everywhere, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's humans, of course. You know? So I think I think if we if we look at humanity, you look at scripture, and you know we talk about the stories there that there were people that were you know particularly amazing, and then there were other people that were did amazing things, but yet were completely human and did astonishingly made astonishingly poor decisions. So uh, to expect humanity now to be acting differently, um, I think that's that's completely unreasonable. Um, but but back to kind of the policing thing is, is over the years, you know, I had I had found this goes back quite a while and um, it's been quite let, let, let me just go back 20 years. Right. And, and I won't I won't get too far into the weeds. But let me just say this. I started to sense and I didn't know what it was that was creating so much anxiety in me. I took me some time to figure it out. But the challenge is, is that, you know, there I, I grew up in St. Paul um, and and was very active in the community as a coach and lived there, everything else. And so constantly around people that had a desire to trust the police, but sometimes had difficulty doing so. And then I then worked with men and women who were uh, heroes on a daily basis, quietly doing amazing things, who were desperate to be trusted. It seems to me, if we both want the same thing, we have community members who want to trust the police and cops who are desperate to be trusted by that community, there needs to be a way to start drawing them together. How is it possible that, that we seem to be going in opposite directions? And so... Um, one of the things that we, we discovered in St. Paul is we went back to the drawing board and asked community members what the department could do to increase trust. And one of the thing, and, and through a series of focus groups, community members in those intimate settings came up with an axiom, and it was the one you used to open the show, and it was about hiring for character and training for competence. And they identified the type of character traits that if officers exhibited these things, they would be easy to trust. And, and that they felt like the police department wouldn't have time to train those things into people. So you should detect them in their life experience and then train them to have the competency to be effective police officers. So when they left the academy and ended up working out in patrol and in other settings, they would be both. They would be women and men with character and have the type of competence to help them be successful in being a being a great police officer. And they thought if if a police if the police department was able to do that, then 
that the, the tide would start to rise and that those sides would now come together. Maybe this is compared, pulling two analogies together, but you probably get my point. But mm-hmm. it's a way to either build a bridge or raise the tide. In any case, they're positive experiences. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, how would you go about determining if this candidate mm-hmm. has character? And when you were right. sheriff of, of Ramsey County, did mm-hmm. they ever get to your desk before they got hired or did they get hired before yeah. meeting you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so ultimately I would have the opportunity right before that final final point of hire. And I, and I think the key is to, if you want to understand, you know, character is something that people say, oh, I know it when I see it. Um, and if you are going to operationalize character, there has to be a common understanding of what it is that you're talking about. And so in speaking with residents of St. Paul, Ramsey County, we discovered that their their responses really collected in four main areas. They were in attributes that trustworthy behaviors that you would do. It was about always being characterized by telling the truth, always being responsible, and always being respectful. So we searched for those things in the types of questions that we asked candidates. We didn't ask, why do you want to become a deputy or why do you want to become a police officer? We asked, when was the last time you did something for someone who was less fortunate than you? It's responses to questions like that that start to allow us to better understand how a person thinks about character and what examples they might be able to give. And then we'd validate that through verify those things through their background investigation. And then we'd also have a psychologist take a look at um, uh, different character attributes while we were looking for their emotional and mental hardiness to actually serve as a police officer. And then and only then did it make it to my desk um, as for a hiring, uh, you know, essentially a probationary hiring uh, uh, decision. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, real interesting. So when you are looking for character, um, do you mm-hmm. find that they need to come with like at five recommendations or something or someone that's speaking mm-hmm. out on their behalf? Do they have uh, a, a body of, of supporters that are going to bat for mm-hmm. these candidates? Well, some things that we would look at is, uh, um, well, so, so let's just take an example of, of a simple area that it's common that we, we would look at um, a, a person's credit history. Mm. Okay, So you're like, well, why would you look at credit history? Well, What's, what's the character point of that? Well, there are several character points within that. One is, are they responsible? Okay, we want to know, are they responsible? If you're responsible, typically your credit report is, is going, doesn't, you know, even if you're younger, it's not a bad credit. It just may not be super high because you just don't have a huge credit history. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's some, some other character issues. And here, here, let me give you another cop story on, on how we use backgrounds to discern character. So there was one candidate that um, was getting turned down by many, many agencies. And the reason was their their, their, uh, uh, credit score was low. And uh, my background investigator said, you know, everything I'm seeing about this candidate looks very good, but their credit score is low and they've been, you know, dropped from consideration. And I said, well, let's, if that's the only thing, why don't you bring them in and find out what the explanation is? If this doesn't match up, then figure out, let's figure out what it is. And what they ended up finding out is that this person had grown up in a very impoverished home, moved had to move around a lot, not through their own choosing, but it was one of the first people in a large family to make it through high school, ended up going into law doing getting a college degree in law enforcement, working themselves through that, uh, you know, working their way through college. And didn't have so didn't have family support or money, 
and then uh, got you know started working to build a work history, and then had a sister who later finished high school and got a job. And she said, "Hey, brother, would you co-sign on an auto loan for me?" And because he was the responsible one in the family, he said, "Sure, sis, I'll help you." And she decided she liked the car and not her job. Mm. And and so, what does his credit history look like now as a young man? So it looks terrible. But the the issue was how he was recognized as a person of character in his own family all the way along, and even at the bank, it was his name that was the one that tipped in favor of getting a car. So. If we're looking for character and you only look at the score, while it tells us some things, we wanted to find out the story behind because we didn't want to lose some of these candidates like that. And we some of those have been overlooked. And the one thing that a candidate like that we found was is that the last thing that they wanted to be perceived as is someone who lacked character and they worked hard for the rest of their career to prove that's not who they are. They're dedicated. They're honest. They're committed to other people. And they've never had same or similar. So there's ways that you can use. Uh, and again, long story, probably too long for radio. So no, thanks for it. letting me tell it. But but I think it takes you inside how you can use some of the steps that are currently in use in police departments, but just not use things as binary, where it's a quick yes or no. If either yes, they had a high enough credit score, or no, it was too low, they're out. Let's look at the why behind it and see if there are some other underlying character issues that we don't want to miss. And, uh, and you said, how is it verified? Multiple ways. One is uh, officers that do the investigations literally go out and do interviews, just like they're making a case. Mm. They're making the case, essentially, that there's evidence that we could charge this person for having the character that we're looking for. That was really the case they were trying to make with their background investigation. So they would do that through, as I said, uh, work history, education, talking to neighbors, talking to teachers, coaches, pastors, and so on. Wow. So it's quite thorough and uh, mm-hmm. wise to, to go about it that way. So, Matt, uh, if if I've had a 20-year career in law enforcement, would you say on average, how many complaints might I have in my file? Okay, so are we talking about you and what I would expect <laughs> you to get or what I say? <laughs> well, well, no, no, well. I would be, I'd be off the charts. I'm talking about yeah, like a well. normal person. <laughs> well, I, here's, yeah, so how about if we just say, um, I don't know what it would be. I, I, I would say they're going to have more than more than five and probably less than 10 okay. would be my guess. Um, but really, I think what gets counterbalanced with that is how many commendations did that officer received in that same period of time? And and I don't have a particular rule on this, but I would say and, and I, I would say that uh, they should have two times or more commendations on top of those. So, you you know, if you got a complaint, there should be two to four times more compliments of your work. Because then that does tell me that, yeah, you are making an arrest. A lot of times the people you're making are in some form of detoxification mm-hmm. and they're not thinking right. And they actually imagine things happened that really didn't. And they file a complaint yeah. that turn out to be unwarranted, but it's still on my, it's still on my record. All right. I'm going to, I want to come back to that. I'm going to take a little break. Um, Dr. Matt Bostrom is my guest. We're talking about uh, character in law enforcement. And if you have a question, let me know what it is. You can send a text to 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back.
I never raced through the violin music. Anyway, we're back. Dr. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Dr. Matt Bostrom is with me, and he is the former sheriff of Ramsey County and now is uh, got his, uh, got, what, like two PhDs now, Matt? Yes. I'm picking on you a little bit. I'm picking yeah, on you. Yes. Yeah. So I want to go back to yeah. this whole idea of officers that get complaints, and then you mm-hmm. you kind of nicely mm-hmm. said, well, there's also an opportunity that they get commendations. And what about yeah. if the complaints are in a certain minority-type neighborhood and the compliments right. are in the nicer neighborhood where people are at, at the malls? Yeah. I think that that's also something that you want to take, you know, the, the term we use for police work and law is totality of the circumstances um, that you want to make sure what's the context. Mm-hmm. You know, we think, in, you know, maybe maybe a way that, you know, that we talk about discussing the Bible. What's the context, uh, you know, so that you understand the principles and how are they were applied then and how should they be applied today? And in the same way, uh, what's the context of the of a complaint against an officer is it is it is it typically in a specific neighborhood is it the same type of person mm-hmm. and circumstances that's always making the complaint um is it you know those are the things we want to look at and then it's the only like you said is the only time it's nice is uh when they're at national night out um so on the other hand if it's spread across in a variety of different circumstances, on and off-duty comments, and it's in different parts of the city, then that gives you a much more holistic view of, of the officer. So, um, yeah, I, I, can I tell you a story about one of the complaints I had? You can uh, always tell me a story. Happened to me. I love so, your stories. All right. Well, we're on the radio, and, and my wife always tells me, Matt, you have to be careful. Once you start telling stories, I mean, it, it's too long. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> I've got one, I've got too, one so. Cheryl story to, to tell, too, and I want you to tell the Cheryl story that I'm, you all know right, that I'm going right, to ask right. you about. Okay. All right. Well, um, but there was a guy who had attacked his wife. It was a, a violent domestic. And, um, so my partner and I uh, arrive at that home and the woman had visible injuries. And, and so she said that he just ran into the bedroom and locked himself in there with our young son. So, you know, we rattle the door, we call to him, he's unresponsive. And then we, you know, do what policy says we get a hold. We're going to kick the door in. We're not going to stand for this. Uh, there's evidence that indicates a crime has been committed. We have probable cause. And under these circumstances, we have a responsibility to take this guy into custody. So um, call for our supervisor. He comes over, listens to her story, and then agrees, yep, that uh, indeed we need to kick that door in. So we kick the door in. The guy pretends he was sleeping in bed. We, And then he, he starts to cooperate a little bit and then decides he's not going to cooperate. And so we end up dragging him into the, the hallway outside his bedroom. And we get him handcuffed and we take him outside take him in. It was, we didn't let him get dressed, uh, cause he was already in cuffs. Uh, you know, he didn't, it was cool out. It was cold out that night, but, uh, he did have clothing on, but he didn't have necessarily, but we're taking him to another warm car. So anyway, so he complained about several things. One that we didn't let him get dressed. And, but here's the one that, uh, he, he, he actually filed a lawsuit on it that, uh, we had held him down, tortured him. And in fact, uh, held his uh, lit cigar against the side of his neck. Uh, in order to uh, in, in order to humiliate him, I mean, th- there is nothing about any of the circumstances that occurred, and maybe in his mind he believed some of those things happened. But if you looked at my file, you would see that somebody complained, made those types of allegations about me, and it, it, there's none of it that happened. So, but in any case, you can't stop somebody from making a complaint. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, but, but when it comes time and you look back over over the you, you know your work, and I had no idea. I think it, uh, when it came to retirement and they announced, well, here's Matt Bostrom and he's characterized by da da da. One of the things they typically say is they give a list of the number of commendations that you had, and I think I had um, over unofficial and official commendations, unofficial meaning thanks and gratitude and letters of thanks, plus the medals, uh, was between 40 and 50. So it's a, and there's people that have far more than me. So anyway, the point is, is that there's a challenge in just saying that if somebody said something horrific happened in that man's mind, he may believe that that happened, but it, it never happened. But in his state of mind, he believed it did. So it's very difficult then when you just, you know, simply say that when you hear one side of the story and that's the best thing we can do is always understand that was the best thing I ever learned from one of my new, when I was being trained in, always know no matter what the evidence looks like, there's always two sides to the story. So always get the second side of the story before you make a determination as to what your next step will be. Mm-hmm. Matt, how long were you sheriff of Ramsey County? Six years. Six years. Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Do you remember uh, how many officers in those six years had to be let go or had to be uh, fired or ended up going to prison? Um, we didn't have, I don't think we sent any to prison. Uh, if you include correctional officers, we had several that uh, resigned in lieu of termination. Okay. Um, we had some that uh, we did terminate and then they appealed and were able to get their job back because an arbitrator had determined that uh, uh, the termination, the discipline was warranted, but they thought that termination was not, uh, was too much. So, uh, but in any case, uh, I would say between, between the two of those that probably in six years, at least a dozen, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as you look out over the landscape of our country right now, what are some of your thoughts, if I might might ask? Yeah, I, I think that overwhelmingly. Now, this is going to. I'm, I'm going to go with the cop and the facts. And sometimes, when when it's when we have perceptions, these this collides with perception. But I think the last stats I, I saw was the police officers, on average, uh, have about 375 million contacts per year in the United States. Of those, a very small percentage end up in any type of force or arrest. Of those turn into any type of phys- – a very smaller amount turn into those that are in some sort of a um, uh, physical uh, fighting of some sort. Mm-hmm. Or, and then f- far less, you're getting now almost into the uh, one and two digits uh, numbers uh, you know, where, where there's some sort of a firearm in use. So if, if people were to flip that over and to say there's a lot of good going on. And and but but I also would say this, that I think we're at a point where the community's expectation of police officers is much like, do, do we allow pilots to have a bad day? You know, we don't. Right. And, and so in many ways, I think police officers are being held to that standard that, you know, you can't just have a bad day as a police officer and say, oh, yeah, if I had to do it over again tomorrow, people aren't uh, that that frame of mind. Uh, if police officers have that, that's something that they have to now fight and you can't have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning I can't just shirk it off and say, no, if I would have thought that through, I could have done it better. It needs to be everything that we do needs to be good faith and reasonable at all times. That needs to be the, that needs to be a, an officer's cadence. Mm-hmm. 
Matt, what are what are your thoughts on the accountability structure within law enforcement? Yeah. Um, you know, in most cases, accountability is is quite good. I, I think where the challenge is, movies and television don't help us. That's zero. That does yeah. not help at all because that, that, that influences people's perceptions more than they think. And I remember a, 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 one of my salty old veterans when I was a young police officer, he said, you know, the job is 99% pure boredom and not 1% sheer panic. <laughs> there's really nothing. There's very little in between. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't mean boredom, but I mean routine. You know, you'd say 99% routine and 1% sheer panic. Um, so being able to navigate that for 20 or 30 years takes a special human being. It's a man or woman that uh, if they got into that job, they got usually, they didn't get into it for the money. They got into it for other reasons. But accountability, I think we can, con- we can always get better. And, and, and I, 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 as a researcher, I don't usually use that term always, but in this time, I will. We can always get better. That's like saying with Apple, they were satisfied when the first um, iPhone came out. No, you need to continue to calibrate. And so I think when it comes to perceptions and 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 police work and accountability, we can always find ways to calibrate and continue to improve that. And the day that you don't is where we lose. You, you will continue to lose ground. And so. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is, is that I would say a lot of police departments actually do a fantastic job hiring for character. But what they but what happens is, is that it's it's um, they haven't really taken a step back to do an inventory to say, how are we hiring for character? We're using we're using practices and policies that have been effective for years. We believe we're hiring for character. Evidence would say they probably that they are overwhelmingly. But if we calibrate it, we can get even better at it. And mm-hmm. the way that we do that is, is to listen to the community first, find out what their core values are and the things that the police department can do to elicit and generate trust. If our behaviors generate trust at every call and at every contact, those are the types of things that bring the community and the police together. Because you know how it is when you feel trusted by someone, how, how do you respond? The last, If you're like me, the last thing I want to do is lose a friend's trust or a boss's trust or a community member's trust, right? Amen. And when you have somebody around you that trusts you, how do you respond to that? You know, and and then how do they respond to you? They start saying, you know what? I like this guy. I want to support this guy. So now you have a mutual support between the community and the officer. The cop feels trusted. So they work harder. The community sees the cop working so much harder that they police their own community. And in doing so, you start to see what happens. The community starts taking care of itself. The, the police officer sees that investment, they work harder, and lo and behold, you have an incredibly healthy environment. And so my research is really focused on trying to bring communities together so that they can begin working together at that level. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, you've got a couple of communities that you can sort of put side by side, and and I think you were in Compton, California, and also in Plano, mm-hmm. Texas. Mm-hmm. Now, I would think those would be very diverse areas. Um <laughs> One being primarily African American and one and Hispanic, right? And one in Plano, mm-hmm. Texas, being mm-hmm. fairly mm-hmm. white. Yeah. Well, so it's very interesting. Uh, so I was in Los Angeles County at the sheriff's department out there. So a county of ten to eleven million people, um, eighteen to twenty thousand employees working at the sheriff's department there. One of the communities that they uh, serve as the police department is Compton. And um, so I, we went, the, the sheriff asked me to go out, and this was part of my research, was to actually ask that question that we talked about earlier in the show is, 
to increase the level of trust between the sheriff's department and the community, what type of women and men should be hired and just let them talk. And so we did this in five sections of Los Angeles County, North, South, East, West, Compton, uh, the Islamic leadership group and so on. Uh, did a similar did a similar uh, a study in Plano, Texas, a city of about 300,000, uh, just north of Dallas. And lo and behold, we there were some patterns with the themes of the comments that people uh, the, that came out of those. Can I share a couple of those? Oh, please, yeah. All right. So there was a pattern of, of they said so. It, lots of answers, as you can imagine, hundreds of responses and things and stories to go with it. But when you really start to distill it, you could start to see some patterning and themes. And one was, if officers are to be trustworthy in our community, we want them to be. Uh, to have some level of cultural competence. We want them to be servant leaders. We want them to be emotionally intelligent, and we want them to have high character. The proportion of those answers were somewhat interesting in that about uh, 11 to 12% of the answers had to do with uh, emphasis was in cultural competence. About 15% were in servant leadership. About 25% were in emotional intelligence. Over 40, some 40 to 45% had to do with high character, honesty, dedication, commitment, work ethic, things like that. And so the the, the community's response is not that that's a that that's the uh, chemistry for a perfect DNA molecule. The point is is that those four areas are vital for police officer trust. And as police officers exhibit behaviors that are consistent with those four themes the community will inherently trust them. When we did the same uh, discussion in in uh, Plano, it was amazing. It was the same pattern, almost wow. within percentage points. So high character really is the foundation. But based on having high character, they want police officers that are culturally competent, servant leaders who are emotionally intelligent. Oh, fascinating. All right, Matt, let me take a little break. Um, Matt Bostrom is my guest, and we are all... Be back in 90 seconds. Dr. Matt Bostrom is my guest, former sheriff of Ramsey County, now with a couple of PhDs under his belt, and why not? That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't help it. I just can't help it. Uh, oh, no, you can't. No. It's okay. I yeah. just, it's accurate. You, it you is. You should laugh. It is. Yeah. My so, friends do, so you yeah. should too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, when, when people talk about it, the police department being broken, you know, when you yeah, hear that, yeah. what, what, is, what yeah. does your mind think? What, is, what does it mean to you? Or what, what are you guessing is going yeah. on? I, one of the things you learn as a police officer is that if you use numbers, when people's perceptions are different than those numbers, all it does is aggravate the community that you serve. And so um, we have to work on this perception. And, and the challenge is the, work, the day that you think it's done is the day that there will be a breakdown in relationships. So, um, when they, when I would counter it and say, yes, there's been thousands of people that have protested, but there have been hundreds of millions who have not. Mm -hmm. And so 
And it's not to say that those hundreds of millions don't have an interest or don't, and maybe they do agree with the protests and so on. But um, the fact of the matter is, whatever we can do to hear what's being said and let's let's get to the deeper level. You, you know, I, I wish I'd thought of it, but you know, somebody somebody wiser than I said, um, you, unless you know the basis for the real problem, you'll never find the solution. And so I think we need to take time to understand because perceptions you know, emanate from somewhere. So let's take the time and be systematic in discerning what the, where these perceptions come from. And then once we're able to identify what those are, start to create a, 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 an ongoing path to, um, that's measurable that we can, instead of just something quick, you know, a quick legislation that is going to solve one issue or supposedly let's, let's systematically approach this. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was what that's, that's really where my research came from is to say, not to say this solves everything, but this is one pathway to better understand the values that if police departments exhibit them in their individual officers, it's a way to bring the community and the police together. So it's critical for the police department to feel the full support of the mayor and the governor. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, there are some, and I don't want to be controversial, but I want, you know, if I can, let's, let's, you know, if we put ourselves in the lives of a police officer and, um, you know, the protests that we watched, um, I would say by and large, they were overwhelmingly, um, un, unpermitted protests. So technically, they were illegal protests, all of them, not just the rioting, but any time a person takes over a street, whether you are an advocate for uh, pro-life or for gun rights or any other types of immigration, anytime you take over a street, you need to do that with a permit. Um, all of those were unpermitted. They said they're peaceful protests, but it quite technically. And so one of the challenges is, is so let's say that a police officer decides to, they, they make hundreds of arrests at protests. And then the mayor comes back two days later and says, ah, you know what, we're going to throw out those citations. So if you're a person of character and you're trying to call balls and strikes fairly for everyone in your community and an elected official comes back later and says, oh, by the way, uh, these particular tags don't matter. I think for a police officer, it, and when that happens repeated, you, you, it, it is very difficult then. You don't lose your character, but you start to wonder, okay, what are the community priorities and, and where does the law and discretion and and do you really want the police officers determining what the law, because normally discre- that level of discretion is left to judges, not law enforcement officers. So so there are some challenges when political officials, and you can understand, you know, maybe I don't understand what their intentions are, but the, what you're communicating to your police officers is, uh, you know, you can go ahead and do your work, but we're, we may come back later and just pretend it didn't happen. Well, what if a police officer decides, nah, you know what, the mayor's just going to get rid of this tag, so I'm not going to issue it. What if they start making those decisions at a street level? Um, so we have to be careful with, you know, anyway, I, I don't want to get, I'm, I'm taking up too much time with that response. No, I find it really interesting because, <laughs> you yeah. know, I think my next question is going to be something along the lines of, the, you know, the future that you see in law enforcement. Um, mm-hmm. I read a statistic that uh, one 1,726,000, Thousand fifty-three guns were sold in May, a record-breaking eighty point two percent increase from last year. Yeah. So it sounds wow. like, to some degree, um, <laughs> you know, people in this country want to arm themselves mm-hmm. and decide yeah. they're going to well, 
take law into their own hands. Yeah, it, it, I think there is some. There, there would be some concern that well, if the police can't come or won't come to my house, then I have a responsibility to protect myself and my family. I suppose you know I don't want to guess what's in people's minds, but I, I would surmise that's probably what's behind a lot of that. What a lot of that thinking. Um, can I, can I, you know, I know we're coming toward the top of the hour, but can I maybe share a positive We've got thing two hours this? after this, too, so all right. we're all on right. to oh, the all gate. Right. All right. Well, I thought you, you know, you, it's the, there's, a, there's the electronic <laughs> trap door, you know, that <laughs> you, know, you only have this right. amount of time. Um, so, but one of the positive things that we saw uh, occur in Ramsey County is, is that the more we were effective in hiring for character, and I was effective in communicating that back to the leaders of our various communities. This is all communities in St. Paul, not just, not just, uh, not just any one. Um, when they saw we were committed to it, they actually helped recruit young men and women from their community that had the character that they were looking for. And so the community came alongside and helped us uh, find people. And so it's my hope that as, as you know, as people learn, you know, we get through these perceptions, let's find out what police officers and police departments really need to do. Let's peel through all of the, all the rhetoric and concerns and stories that are out there, but let's get to what the, really the core issues are. What are those things that generate trust? And let's find those people, let's hire those people. And then the other part is have organizational practices that continue to reinforce those principles within your organization. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, it, it makes quite life quite simple, right? Because what we found is there was nobody at the sheriff's office that get, ever got in trouble for being too honorable, too respectful, too truthful, and too responsible. Never mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. They didn't violate policy. They never got in trouble. Or it doesn't mean they had a, that, that they wouldn't do something different the next day. But once you have clarity of your values are in alignment with the community and, your commu- and you c- communicate those within your organization, it makes it really simple for employees to know how to navigate through the variety of things that they would encounter during a shift. Yeah. So, Matt, when you were a sheriff, did you uh, did the buck stop with you? Did you get numbers and financials writ, uh, run by you all the time, or is that another department? Yeah. yeah, of course. No, that would be me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you hear expressions like defund the police, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Uh, that means... I think in some for some people that probably means they want to get rid of the police department. What I hear uh, as a because I was an elected official, what defund means that they're going to take some of the funding that had been used for the police and they're going to put it someplace else. So they're going to take the police funding. So they're going to so essentially it's a, a form of defunding. Now, obviously, there's been some places that have talked about getting rid of the police department, but I think overall, most of it's about taking police funds and moving them toward something else that whatever that that, that politician believes might be more successful in their community. Mm-hmm. Matt, we just have about a minute left, so I'd like mm-hmm. to brag about Cheryl because I I find <laughs> while her what she has done is so amazing. I would love for you to tell my audience because I've bragged about her from time yeah. to time. Oh, what she well. what she has done for her kids. Yeah, she's uh, years ago she just started uh, copying the Bible in her own hand in spiral notebooks. Mm-hmm. And then what she would do is is that she she didn't decide how many chapters she was going through. She would just go to a point in each book that she was working through, go to a point where there was something for that day that really stood out to her and highlight it. And then 
you know, that would be part of her prayer for that day and part of her obedience, what she, whatever she was called to do, that be, that would really guide her day. And then the next day she'd get up and do the same thing. And so uh, I, if had I known I was going to have the question, um, I could have asked her just how many books she's completed, but it's, it's actually pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. Um, yeah, I'm another one that uh, must have caught her at a weak moment when she agreed to marry me. And <laughs> <laughs> I made her get in front of a whole bunch of people that yeah. promised to stay with me, and she has kept her right. promise. <laughs> but the, the idea that you've got God's Word mm-hmm. in your own mother's handwriting, I can't think mm-hmm. of anything too much more precious than that. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I, she, she would blush if you were saying that because it wasn't, you know, it was just a, it was just a quiet thing that her spirit was prompted, and she, and she responded to that, and that yeah. was... I love bragging about um, and that. And I've benefited from it, and I hope our children do as well. No, I love bragging about that, and I always make it sound <laughs> like it's my idea. So, <laughs> uh, Thank you, uh, Matt, for doing the show. Really nice yeah. to talk to you. Thank I'll you. I appreciate it. Any, any time, Bill. All right. You know that. My best to Cheryl. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Dr. Matt Bostrom has been my guest, and Matt is, uh, is the former sheriff of Ramsey County, and he's now working on his second Ph.D., and he uh, is about character development in law enforcement. It's a fascinating look at what the future is, uh, what it has for us going forward. We've got to get men and women of real, absolute character in law enforcement. So thanks for listening today, and thanks for um, supporting Faith Radio. It's been a great day, and if you missed any of the show, you can always go to myfaithradio.com and check it out. Have a good night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.